You know one thing I hate? I hate losing stuff. Hate it. And unfortunately, it's become part of my life. Um, I feel like I'm always losing something. I've lost so many pairs of sunglasses and hats and coats. And it's like, where did they go? And it's that weird feeling of like, it was right here. Like I was just, I had my hat on my head and now it's gone. I don't know where it went. You're fed, you know, those things happen. They're just gone. You never see them again. Uh, for me, it's happened a lot recently. I've been doing a lot of work around our house because I think that's what we're all doing right now. It's like going to Lowe's and coming back to the house to fix something. Uh, and I've been doing some renovation in some various areas of our home. And um, this happens to me a lot with tape measures and pencils. Now, I don't know how much you use a tape measure and a pencil, but I'll tell you this. If you use one, you lose one. That's kind of the rule about tape measures and pencils. They're just gone. I don't know where they go. I don't, and so like after you clean up, you'll have like five tape measures and 10 pencils. You're like, I didn't even know I had five tape measures. I must have gone and got another one. But when you need it, like when I'm trying to measure a piece of wood and draw the line, can't find it. Can't find it. It's not anywhere. It's frustrating. I hate losing things. Today we're talking about losing things and finding things. Have you ever lost something valuable? What I found to be true is that the more valuable something is, the harder and the longer you will look for it. In fact, lock that little phrase into your mind right now because it's gonna really guide us as we go. I mean, we've we've all dropped change out of our pocket or maybe you're going through the drive-thru and they're handing you your change and it falls between the car and the window. You know that little moment? And if it's just like a penny, uh, we're gonna let that go. But if it's like, if it's silver, especially if it's like a dime or a quarter, like I, I might crack my door and go grab that thing. If it's a whole dollar bill, forget about it. Like we're getting out of the car, we're searching for that thing because the more valuable something is, the harder and the longer we'll look for it. If you have ever spent time walking through your neighborhood yelling the name of your dog, you know what I mean by this. Pork chop! Hey, pork chop! Pork chop! Pork chop! Come home, boy! Pork chop! Like, here's the thing. This is true about dogs. They're not lost, okay? Your dog is not lost. Pork chop is, he is running as happy as can be. He's drinking out of puddles. He's eating garbage and he's living his best life right now. But the pork chop is valuable to your family, right? Like our pets mean something. So we, we will look for them long and we'll look for them hard and we will try to find something. If it's valuable, we'll look for it. So today we're talking about losing things because Jesus, he spent some time talking about losing things in a few parables that he told once. And, and so uh, we're continuing this teaching series, long story short, and we're gonna be going through a list of parables, actually three of them in the book of Luke. So grab your Bible if you got one, look it on your phone or, or grab your paper Bible. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 15. We've been kind of flip-flopping back and forth between Luke and Matthew because that's where we find most of the parables. And I wanna hit as many of them as we can. We're learning a lot about the way Jesus thought and what he taught and what he wants us to think and live through these parables. Today we're looking at a kind of a triplet of parables in Luke chapter 15, and all of them have a very similar theme. Uh, and so I think in this, this set of parables, we're going to learn about what Jesus' mission in the world was and is, and even to a large degree, how we can adapt that as part of our mission in life. Okay, so you got that? Luke chapter 15. Uh, I want to set the stage a little bit. Actually, I'm going to let Luke do it. Uh, in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, we're going to kind of figure out who Jesus is hanging with right now because it's a slightly different crowd than he's been hanging with in our other parables. You can see it right here. Luke 15, verse 1, it says, Now, tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. 
tax collectors and sinners. Now, th this is a common derogatory statement that was used back in those days to refer to people who weren't doing too well spiritually. I mean, these aren't the people that you're going to be looking up to as role models. The tax collectors were notoriously dishonest, and the sinners, well, they were sinners. <laughs> so that was kind of an identification for a group of people. Now, now, the reason it's said that way is because in verse 2, we find out there's a group of people that's there as well who wouldn't see themselves as such, tax collectors and sinners. Uh, these are some religious leaders who didn't like the fact that Jesus spent so much time with these you know, ne'er-do-wells. And so this is verse 2, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. How dare he? Uh, these religious leaders, they acted kind of like the morality police in, in those parts. So sometimes these guys would be lurking around and, and listening to what Jesus had to say, and they would step in and they would try to kind of trap him in his words. And They rejected the idea that God would accept people like this, these tax collectors and sinners. They worked really hard, uh, the, these, these religious people, they worked really hard to keep strictly to the Old Testament Jewish law, the, the, the religious code that they lived by. In fact, uh, these Pharisees actually had created a whole secondary fence of rules uh, to protect them from accidentally breaking the important rules that God had set. And then there were like layers of fences of rules, hundreds of them. And they prided themselves in this. And so anyone who was, you know, not living the way that they were, they were like, man, these people just, they aren't any good. And Jesus, on the other hand, faulted them because though they had the right intentions of like living for God, we, we could all learn a lot from the Pharisees, to be honest. They always get a bad rap, but really, they worked really hard. They worked really hard to, to try to live and do what God told them to do. But Jesus faulted them on this. He said, like, you, you get these things, but you don't have any mercy. And you're not living out justice. And you don't have any compassion. And these things are more important than God than even strict adherence to the law. Now, they didn't like it when Jesus pointed that out at all. They hated it, and so they didn't like Jesus. And in this case, their beef with Jesus right now was the idea of who he was eating with. Sharing a meal with somebody who was ceremonial, ceremonially unclean, that was taboo. And that was a legit rule, and there was legit reasons for it. Um, but they were wrong in that they, they didn't understand that Jesus wasn't there just to break the rules. He was there ministering to these people. He was trying to get to their hearts and show mercy, and they didn't see that, and they didn't like it, and so they called Jesus out on it. And so, um, you know, this guy eats with sinners. How dare he? And Jesus' response is awesome. He's so peaceful. He could have flipped out on these guys. Uh, he knows the Bible way better than they do. He could have sent Peter over to just sucker punch one of them. Believe me, Peter would have loved that. He was kind of a hothead, but he didn't do any of that. Instead, he takes some time to teach, and he teaches this time in the form of a parable. Remember, a parable is an earthly story or earthly concept uh, that teaches a heavenly truth. And it, and it takes the place in a small story. And so Jesus launches into these three different parables that all talk about something that was lost and then was found. Luke chapter 15, now we're at verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 religious people 
who do not need to repent. So this image is of a shepherd carrying sheep over his shoulders, and this picture became one of the main symbols of Christianity in, in the first couple hundred years of the faith. And this image of, of Jesus carrying a sheep, because it's just this, this gentle picture of this mighty Savior who also cares about something so small and powerless. Uh, this parable is not hard to understand. The religious leaders are the people who knew God. Okay, These were the 99 sheep in the field. Remember, he's talking to the religious leaders. And the message meant to show how God feels about people who are not with the flock. Anyone who is, is wandered off or for some reason is not with the rest of the sheep in the pasture. So, so the shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one. We, we sing a song sometimes called Reckless Love. Uh, it's one, some of y'all's favorite song. I've heard you say it. You might not know this, but it has really caused a lot of conversation, even some division among Christians. Because when it first came out, people didn't like the idea of saying God was reckless. And that's fair. I don't think we should just flippantly throw around words and call, call God out for being you know, reckless or, or, or careless or anything like that. That's not what the song's talking about, though, at all. It's actually kind of a, it's a twist on the word reckless, and it shows something. The, song, the, the, the lyrics of the song, if you don't remember, are this. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down. It fights till I'm found, and it leaves the 99. There's that reference to this parable. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. So think about it. If you had one dollar in your pocket, in change, okay, like a hundred cents, quarters, nickels, dimes, pennies, okay, and it's in your it's in your pocket, and you accidentally dropped one penny, one percent of the money that you had, uh, maybe you dropped it down into one of those grates in the street that goes down into the sewer, like the drains in, in the street. How hard would you go after that penny? Like, we kind of agree that, like, the penny's not that valuable, so we're not going to chase it hard. And, and the idea is that, like, the one sheep out of the 99 is like, it's just one sheep. They're sheep. You know, you got lots of sheep. You're a shepherd. But the message is that this, this shepherd, who is Jesus, is willing to chase the one. And for us, we would say, like, that's pretty reckless, from a human perspective, it would be reckless to go into the the sewer after a penny. That would be that would be careless. That would be ridiculous. But Jesus is willing to do that. The idea that God loves us so much that He would go to such length over even one soul is a beautiful, beautiful picture of what the gospel message is and what the church exists for. And so uh, the shepherd brings his sheep home. And everybody throws a party. And I love that at the end of all three of these stories, there is a party. And they throw down because the thing that was lost was found. That's the first lost story. Okay? You with us? Pretty simple. Okay? The rest of these are going to flow out of that, but there's going to be more we can learn. And so we're going to look, uh, first of all, at our long story short. I've been throwing these in every week. I don't know if you picked them up. But long story short here is this. God will pursue us when we stray away from him. That's the key message that I'm drawing out of these parables. When we stray away from God... He will pursue us. Now, it's not as simple as all that. And we're going to see in just a few minutes that there's more to it, but that God is going to keep his end of the deal. Uh, so we'll return to that in just a minute. Let's look at our second lost item, the lost coin. So we pick up at verse eight. Jesus says, okay, so suppose a woman has 10 silver coins, but she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search it carefully until she finds it? 
And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Once again, we got a party because this thing has been found. Are you seeing the theme here? Are you seeing how they're connecting? It's not a whole lot different. I, I love this last part that God just throws a party. Now, I've, I've read this parable, I don't know, dozens of times. I've talked through it several times, and i got to be honest with you, okay? It doesn't hit me. Um, the sheep story, for some reason, does. Maybe because it's a living creature, the, the, the son story that's coming later. That hits me really hard, especially now that I'm a dad. Uh, but the lost coin, like, it's like, what's the big deal? I, I don't understand. Um, so I've been looking this week trying to understand, because remember, the point of the parables is to make you think. So I, I really just sat down. I was like, okay, I get it. She lost a coin. She looked for it. She was excited, but who cares? Who cares about this stupid coin? It wasn't that valuable. I've read scholars who assigned different values to it, and maybe there's sentimental value, but does it really matter? Who cares? And as I pondered on it, um, it hit me. She cares. This is not a story about how I care about a coin. This is a story about how this lady cares about this coin, and it doesn't matter why she cares about it. The point of the story is not how much the coin was worth or why it was worth something. The point of the story is the length to which she went to go find it. What does she do? She desperately looks for it. She cares about this coin. She is tearing her place up looking for it. And so parables are supposed to bring images to mind. And so as soon as I thought about that and then reread the parable, this image jumped out at me that I want to kind of plant in your mind a little bit. I want you to picture this lady. She's like kneeling on the ground. Maybe she's on her hands and her knees. Picture looking under a bed, under a couch, under a table. She, she's sweaty. She's, she's dirty because she's been cleaning and whatever. I don't know. And she lights a lamp. And in that moment, you see like half of her face lit up. And then you can see the dark expanse from whatever she was looking at in the corners and under the tables or whatever. You see it light up. Don't you see that image, that little snapshot? Because it's this image, I think, that can teach us something today. Light. Light. To me, the thing that jumps out of this story so much is light. Like you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't even have to be that intelligent to understand the value of turning on a light. I was running a wire up through my attic recently, and uh, it's dark up there. And I had a little hamp headlamp on, looking like a miner, you know? And it wasn't that bad, because I could see everything. I loved it. It was great. I don't like going up there when the lights are not on. It's creepy. There's spiders, you know? Light makes a big difference. You know what the first act of God was in this world? He created light. He turned the light switch on. He said, let there be light, and there was light. It was good. You know how Jesus is described? Well, in the book of John, in the very first chapter, uh, verse 4 and 5, John describes him like this. He says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light is a major theme. I've worn my t-shirt today that says, shine light. Venture Church, we say shine light in dark places every single week. You know why? Because I believe this is one of the most central themes of the Bible. That when we want to understand God, we need to understand his light in the darkness of this world. And so here's Jesus, and he's hanging out with sinful people, ill reputes, ill reputes, living in their darkness, and he tells these religious leaders who are standing by, if you understood God, then you'd know that he really cares about these people that you don't want me to eat with. And he doesn't have to tell you why they're valuable to him. He just does. He just cares. And he's turning the world upside down to find them, and he's lighting a lamp so that he can find them 
and so that they can find their way back to him. That's what I see when I see this lady looking for a coin. So, guys, this is a little bit of an aside here. It's not directly out of the parable, but I really think that it's appropriate. People are hurting. Uh, People are far from God. People are scared and alone. You know, the unrest that we're seeing in our nation right now is because of so many people who are just hurting, you know, in so many different ways. I don't want to like overgeneralize it, but, and here's what's happening. Many people who have the light of God are simply standing on the sidelines, like these religious leaders. They're just, they're just standing right there and they're like, either A, maybe they're like, oh, I don't want to share a meal with those people. Like on either side of whatever chasm we're talking about, because there's more than just the, 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 uh, the, the racial and injustice uh, uh, chasm that's happening in, in our world. But that's, that's the one at the forefront right now. I think it's the one that we need to be focused on and making changes in. But like on the one hand, it might be the people who are standing on the sidelines going, I, I wouldn't share a meal with them. You know, I don't want to be with them. Or I think there are a lot of us who are on the sidelines because they don't know what to do. Like they want to make a difference, but they don't know where to start or what to do. And so maybe it's sharing a Facebook post or, or talking a lot. You know, I know like it's, it's hard to know what to do sometimes, but you just kind of talk with your friends and I'm right there with you. But what if instead, what if instead we were like Jesus? We didn't stand on the sidelines like these religious leaders were doing, but instead we enter into relationships with people who are hurting, living in whatever darkness they're living in. And we go into those moments intentionally, knowing that it's not going to be a popular decision to some people, and it might be uncomfortable, and you might have to come outside of your comfort zone, and you might have to change your schedule around, and it might be inconvenient. Last week, we talked about the kingdom of heaven, and we said that the kingdom of heaven requires sacrifice. And one of the sacrifices that it takes is for us to get in the game. And sometimes what the church is guilty of, and I've been guilty of, is sitting on the sidelines And maybe one thing that you have found yourself doing is sitting on the sidelines and you you come to church to receive something. I want to receive a teaching. I want to be part of a program. I want to do a thing. When the church is actually supposed to be the active hands and feet of Jesus in the world, doing something. What if instead we were like Jesus and we got on our knees and we lit a lamp so that we could help people find God? Physically got into it with people became friends with them. And listen, you don't have to do this. You can, you can go to rallies of dozens and hundreds of people and that can help. But you know what's even more effective sometimes is to be in a relationship with one person or a small group of people and just calling someone and saying, listen, I don't know how to start this conversation, but I, I want to. Let's do it. Okay, so that's a side note. I, I don't think that's exactly at all. I don't think it's at all what that parable is about, but I do think it lines up and adds up perfectly with other things that Jesus taught. And so therefore, I think that Jesus would be happy for us to make this connection. In Matthew 5, 16, we share this all the time. It's where this t-shirt comes from. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We've got to imitate our Lord and light a lamp. Shine light. Okay, so that's the aside. Uh, let's get back to our parable. Long story short, God will pursue us when we stray away from him. Remember that. And so even that even happens uh, with the coin, it happens with the sheep, and now we get into our third parable. It's a parable about a lost son, and it's the longest one. Uh, this might be Jesus' longest parable. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, we're not going to read the whole thing today, um, though I totally recommend that you read it this week. You've learned a lot of skills about 
uh, understanding parables over the last several weeks, and I think it would it would really be cool to let it, let it marinate, reflect, see how it connects with maybe some Old Testament passages and ideas. Uh, but let me give you a Cliff's Note version of the parable. It basically goes like this. There are three main characters, okay? Number one is a father. Number two is a son who, uh, he lives a wasteful, shameful life, okay? That's what you need to know about him. And number three is the second son. The second son lives an honorable life, and he stays home with his dad. The first son runs away from home. The second son stays home with dad, okay? So we got son run away from home, wasteful, shameful. Son stayed home with dad, honorable life. And uh, there are pounds of meat left on the bone for this story. I mean, I've just given you a Cliff's Note synopsis. We actually did a three-week teaching series on this a couple of years ago called uh, Totally Wasted. Totally Wasted because uh, the word prodigal means wasteful. And so go check that out on our podcast if you want to hear some more teaching through the prodigal son story. So we could talk a lot about these three characters. But to wrap things up today, I, I want to I prime your pump a little bit by asking you a pretty uh, basic question. One question. One question this week. I've asked a lot of questions over this, uh, this parable series. But here's the one question. Of those two sons, the wasteful, shameful son who ran away from home and the honorable son who stayed home with father, which son do you relate to the most? Which son are you? This is not a right or wrong answer, and it probably changes depending on how you feel about yourself at the time. I honestly believe, though, that every one of us could fall into relating to one or the other of those sons. Now, spoiler alert, okay? Uh, the, the wasteful son, he's run away from home, but he... He comes to his senses and he comes back home. He believes that he will never be loved by his father again. In fact, he believes he's going to have to ask for a place as a servant in his father's household. He doesn't think he'll ever be accepted because he is, he's ruined so much of his uh, relationship with his dad. He wasted all of his, his inheritance is what he did, and it's a hot mess. But this wasteful son couldn't be more wrong because what he didn't know is that his father had been waiting at the road for him every single day since he left, just hoping that one day his son would come back home. And so when his son finally does come back home, he doesn't punish him, he doesn't yell at him, he doesn't pop him on the hands. He runs out to greet him, which there's a great teaching on that, the fact that uh, adult men in that culture never ran. They walked. It was, it was humiliating to run. But he runs to his, father, his son and embraces him. And he gives him the gold ring off of his finger and he wraps a robe around him and they throw a party in his honor. They kill the fatted calf. You know, they've got this special, this, this special calf that they were saving for a special occasion. But no, today's the day. My son is home. Now, that's the, the wasteful son. Now, the honorable son is so confused because he's like, Dad, what are you doing? He has ruined our family fortune. He's destroyed our reputation. Why would you let him come back? And why are you throwing him a party? Like, I've been here this whole time and you never threw me a party? In Luke 15, verse 31, at the end of the parable, the father says, My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, he was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. I want to close today with these two thoughts. The first one, I didn't see this thought coming until after I, uh, I studied this passage. I had written this whole message, and then I got to the end, and then I, I really believe God laid this on my heart for us church family. I can kind of guess about who's out there watching this right now. Uh, some of you might surprise me, and that'd be awesome. 
my guess is, uh, if you're hearing this, so what's going to happen is, is COVID-19, social distancing, it's not going to last forever, right? And one day, we're going to be gathering back together again, those of us watching this video, uh, and probably a handful of others. I really anticipate that. And we'll be back at the YMCA, and we'll all come together, and we'll rejoice because it'll be a great day. It really will. But when that happens, we will most likely be the gathering of the 99. We'll be the, the son who lived an honorable life and stayed home with his dad. We'll be that. We'll be the, the, the church of church people. And that'll be great. Um, but I don't want us to lose sight of Jesus' mission to seek the one. You know, when we founded this church almost seven years ago, our, our mission was to be church for people who don't like church. Our mission was to go after the one. One of the first messages I ever taught was through the Prodigal Son series because it had to be understood that God's vision for the world is that His people would always be reaching out to the one, that we would imitate our Lord and we would do that. And so here's the thing. When we start meeting back together soon, and I hope it's very, very soon, I want to encourage us not to just huddle in our holy huddle and and and, and not be bringing people in and, and just try to be so you know inwardly focused that we don't see the need in the world around us. In fact, that may be happening at your home right now, that you're really not engaging like you used to. We have got to remember the one. We've got to remember that the father loves the son who left or who never was in the house to start with. That father has been standing at the road every day. That's God, and he wants to see them come home. Okay, that's the first thing. I said there were two. The second thing is this. Um, I've said this a few times in the long story short series, uh, and today, I mean, a few times today, and that, that is that the long story short of today's story is God will pursue us when we stray away from him, right? But here's a reality. It's not always that simple. One of my neighbors has a dog named Rocket, Rocket and Rocket is this uh, wiry little man. He is a scoundrel, and he loves to just get away from his owners okay and so he'll break away from his little harness he wears a full harness but he breaks away and then he just runs as hard as he can as far away from the house as possible and then his owners will pursue him and boy do they pursue him i've seen them pursue him for hours my whole family has been out with them a couple times trying to rocket rocket i've brought i've literally brought bacon from inside my house outside the house to go rocket come get bacon he ain't having it here's the thing i know about rocket rocket's not going to come home till he's good and ready and that's what I think is the complicated part about these stories and that God knows about us is that he will pursue us to the end of the earth, but he knows we're not going to come home until we're ready. And maybe that's you today. Are you ready? The father is standing at the street and he is, he is looking for you to come home. And will you, will you give into the pursuit? We, the 99, or maybe you're the one. All of us are loved by the shepherd, by the woman looking for the coin, by the father looking for his son. And every day we've got to turn our hearts in repentance towards him and come home. And if you want to do that for the first time today, I encourage you, uh, if you're in a house church watch party, say something to somebody before you leave. If you want to talk to somebody in per person, we will be at Wrightsville Beach at 6 o'clock today. And I would love nothing more than to celebrate a baptism service today as you uh, as you embrace this change for your life. And we can baptize you at the ocean today. 
um, send us a message on Facebook. I'll make sure that we, we see it before we go. You matter to God. And He is pursuing your heart. To all of us. Let's be found. Let's pray.